Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I am Oren McIntyre. I hope you're having a happy Friday. I want to talk to you about a couple things today. I want to dive into the fact that the conservative movement is having a bit of an identity crisis. There are multiple kind of legacy positions left over from bygone eras of the Republican Party and the conservative movement that I think are still hindering the conservative movement today are holding it back from being able to really take advantage and, and make some wins and make some important gains and most importantly work for the good of the people that it is supposed to be working for. And I want to dive into what I think those are. I'm also going to talk to you about a new bill in Florida that has a lot of people on the internet very angry. Why are so many of these people claiming that a bill that is set to protect children will actually target LGBTQ plus people. I'll talk about all that in just a second. But before I do, let me tell you about the incredibly, incredibly important duty that you have, the moral duty you have as an employer to hire based people through New Founding. Hey guys, I need to tell you about today's sponsor, New Founding Talent. Look, we all know that the job market is a disaster right now. Based people can't find good companies to work for and good companies can't find anybody to get the job done. The competency crisis is very, very real. So how do we get these two incredibly important groups together? We need organizations like New Founding. New Founding has created a network of high excellence professionals who are seeking to join grounded American businesses. These are individuals, often in elite organizations, who are ready for a team and a mission that supports their values instead of working against them. Aligned companies are already using this network to hire high trust, exceptional individuals who can match the culture and mission of their teams. So if you're looking for better employees to build a better world, you need to go ahead and apply for access to the New Founding Talent Network at newfounding.com backslash talent. You'll get connected with candidates who will build your business. That's newfounding.com backslash talent. Check it out today. All right. So like I said, I think that the conservative movement has an identity crisis. And I want to be clear, there's a couple of things happening. First, we have the GOP proper. We have the mainstream Republican Party. Then we have conservatives in general, the, the idea of the movement of conservatism, which does not always agree with things that are very popular inside the Republican Party. And then I think we have what is an emergent new right. And we can say that all of these things are kind of nested inside of each other. So be aware that as I talk about this, some of these terms will be used interchangeably, but some of these arguments only apply to particular segments of kind of, kind of these three pieces of what is emerging on the right wing. And I'll try to specify specifically, well, I said specifically twice, but I'll try to specify when this applies to the different groups, uh, when it doesn't apply to all of them. So the first thing I want to talk about is the issue of conservative ideas, or really, in this case, more Republican ideas about economic freedom, 
versus the ideas of family formation. This is actually one of my first videos I ever did on the channel. I talked about this in a video called the Ben Shapiro Paradox. You can go back and check that out if, if you want to see it. But but basically, the, the first identity crisis that the conservative movement has is it's, it's kind of marriage to the idea of complete laissez-faire economics, complete hands-off uh, economics that that you should be pursuing money at every moment and that should be the driving force at every moment and that that's that's okay that's the, the that's the way that we should exist as americans but also we should have thriving families we should have vibrant families and those families are critical to kind of uh the continuation of our nation and, and building up our population and having you know transmitting our values and traditions these things and these things are at odds these, these this is a contradictory thing not that every uh part of economic freedom is incompatible with family i'm not saying that obviously there are cases in which these things are very compatible however this idea of prioritizing economic freedom or economic growth at any price has really cost us a lot of things we see a heavy investment in this generationally as well uh, i talked about this a little bit in a, a couple of days ago in my you're the boomer now stream but i explained you know, one of the things that a lot of people give the boomers, uh, you know, a, a lot of guff about, and rightly so, is the fact that they focus more on their own economic aggrandizement, assuming that that would take care of their children as well. The, the fact that they could make money and that they could they could go ahead and have all of the wealth and all the material benefits that they wanted, all of the uh, you know miracles of progress that they desired, well, that would work for them, and because it worked for them, that would work for their kids, and so on and so on. And so there's kind of this mentality that, well, if I got mine, then my kids will be able to get theirs. And I don't really need to worry about kind of any other continuity or duty I have to different generations. And this is a general attitude that does pervade a lot of the conservative movement. Now, don't get me wrong. Go out and do the thing on your own, like put the maximum effort in and take initiative is good individual advice. Jordan Peterson's clean up your room advice is actually really good individual device, advice. It's a good uh, piece of advice to give to somebody uh, on that one-to-one -one level. However, it's not good societal advice, actually. You don't want every person to have to uh, fight for every single thing in their lives that, that, because most people won't be able to do it. It's not actually a good way to ensure that your family does well, that your community does well, that the posterity that the Constitution talks about will actually flourish. You actually want to go ahead and invest in systems that will take care of families and encourage them to grow. We can see this in a couple different areas. So, for instance, as an example here, uh, one of the things that is often said by conservatives is, well, you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So you need to go out there and make your own money and you have to take your own opportunities and you have to be willing to go out and, and travel to wherever jobs are, you know, wherever jobs happen to be, that's where you need to go and you have to make your own way. And that sounds good, right? That feels like the pioneering advice that feels like the, the spirit that forged the West and conquered the, you know, con conquered the Western territories in the United States and settled them and turned them into civilization. That sounds like that at first, but what you realize is that actually, well, there's not a lot of frontier anymore. We're not exactly conquering frontier in the way that we had before. It's not really the, the same process. And on top of that, the, the constant emphasis on economic mobility is, is not actually good for communities. It makes it very difficult for people 
to set down roots. One of the things that helps people have families is being near their own family, having the, the, the free child care and the assistance that comes with an extended family in the area, being able to rely on grandparents and uncles and aunts and cousins and a, a network of people that actually help you in a community. That's what those are the kinds of things that make a you know two kid family into a four kid family. It's the kind of things that make a zero kid family into a two kid family. The fact that you have that built in, that you're not going to have to pay an exorbitant amount for childcare if something is going on, that you're not going to have to pay an exorbitant amount for education because there are good options in your community because you are staying inside a community where you have roots. That's really critical. The same is true, of course, for passing on religious traditions and all these things. If you're constantly moving and chasing economic opportunities and looking for new jobs because that's the that's the American spirit and that's what conservatives say to do, well, that means that you're not actually staying in the same place and investing heavily in institutions like churches or community organizations or you know civic organizations that would help out you know, parents or families, people who are having a tough time. If you want to reduce, you you want to talk about the problem of big government and big government programs. Well, a lot of those big government programs exist because they're filling in, they're backfilling a lot of the things that these stable, uh, that these stable communities used to do. When you have a continuity from one generation to the next, when you have families taking care of each other going back hundreds of years, it's hard to leave somebody on a park bench. You know, if it's some random junkie, then no one takes care of them and no one makes sure that they have a warm meal and no one makes sure that they get off of, you know, their drugs. But if you have a close-knit community where everybody knows that actually that's John's brother and John's family has been here for 200 years and we've all grown up next to him and we can't leave that guy here. And actually it's the, to the great shame of John's family in the first place that they would let a relative sleep out like this and be addicted to a drug like this, like that level of agency, that level of, uh, of, of having some kind of responsibility to each other. That's the kind of thing that keeps the government from having to step in. But you can't have that if you're also talking about constant economic mobility. And again, Republicans, the, the right to conservatives have often very much been against protectionism. They said we can't have protection of our industries. We can't have protections of our communities. Creative destruction. If, if uh, economics comes in and hollows out your country and ships your job overseas, well, rough, just move to something else. Learn to code, right? Go, go do something else, move somewhere else. But of course, that's the kind of stuff that devastates families. It devastates communities. It's what, it's what turns you know, the, the middle of your rust belt into a ghost town. And this is something that is directly at odds with the conservative ethos of having strong families, having family formation. You have to pick and choose. You can't tell people, oh, well, you can just travel anywhere. You have to go after jobs all the time. But also, you know, if you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't rely on the government for any of this stuff. You, you, you have to give people a functional uh, social structure if you want them to be able to plug in and invest. And if you don't do that, then they're going to fall back on the government because nobody is completely independent, especially when you start talking about families, when you start talking and you start expanding beyond just this kind of Ayn Rand, hyper-independent, uh, you know, single person who never has kids, never has families, goes out and does whatever they want. Once you start actually looking as, uh, at family units rather than just looking at the individual, you realize that this stuff is critical. 
And that's why, again, this mentality of just go out and get yours is a serious problem. Sure, we can tell everybody, well, you should just start doing rental properties. You should just be going out there and uh, getting second and third houses, you know, start your, uh, your Airbnb, whatever. That's great. However, that drives up all of the costs of the housing in your area. That puts entry-level housing out of the reach of young families. Oh, well, it doesn't matter if we close the borders because really, at the end of the day, these people are just going to drive down uh, the cost of uh, things we get here, the people who come in and provide cheap labor, they're going to go ahead and do jobs Americans don't want to do. This wasn't just an argument of the left. In fact, this is primarily an argument of the right for decades. And we see what happens, right? American wages crater, the the uh, price of, of uh, goods goes up, things like food, things like medical care, things like education, things like housing, they skyrocket up because of the uh, boom that of immigrants coming in. And this all hurts the people who live here. And this is, again, just this constant clash between uh, between what conservatives say they want and what their policies actually lead to. Now, the good news is, and I think this is going to be true about a couple of these identity crisis problems, there has been a shift, right? There has been some shift in this. We have seen people start recognizing that uh, that, that mass immigration isn't just like a crime problem, though it most certainly is. But that it has deleterious effects on a lot of things, including wages, including the ability uh, of people to afford certain things that are essential for forming families. We've started to recognize the need to protect our industries. Donald Trump was widely maligned and still is by many people uh, in the conservative movement for his protectionist ideas. But he was very popular for this reason. People are very tired of having their jobs shipped overseas. They're very tired of having their city centers hollowed out. They actually don't want to live this way. And they don't have to live this way. The, the, the options between the two parties should not just be, well, wildly degenerate people who might try to protect some of your industries and people who care about your values in theory, but don't do anything to actually protect your civilization in actual fact. And so the fact that Donald Trump is willing to shift some of those ideas and come out that still has gives him a lot of people who are opponents of his on the right, however, that is a good sign. It's good to see that more people, guys like J.D. Vance and others, who are moving into positions of power are espousing those ideas. I think that that's a promising thing to resolve that identity crisis, that, 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 that uh, clash between two positions inside the Republican Party. Another one, and, and this is similar, this one's kind of, kind of next to uh, what I just talked about, but is the, the corporatism of the right. Again, this is another promising one because we've seen the corporations have gotten so ridiculously and uh, left wing that now the right is starting to understand what capital is a problem. But for a very long time, the conservative movement thought that corporations were their friends. They thought these people were on their side. They said, oh, well, you know, we're for free trade. We're for uh, you know, economic opportunity. And that's OK at any cost. And so we need to go ahead and in, invest in these or, or at least pretend like these corporations are neutral, at least at some level, they're, they're nominally on our side. And that's been really critical as well. It, you know, it used to be that conservatives believe that all of these things were neutral institutions, that, that corporations and education and things like that, those could be neutral institutions and that you didn't need to have your values in there. The key was to get values out of this scenario, right? We don't want corporations preaching any values. We don't want uh, we don't want schools preaching any values. And it turns out that that's never the case. You never have a neutral institution. That's not real. We still have people arguing this, by the way. We still get this, especially from um, what would I would think would be called the libertarian consensus, right? I know a lot of libertarians are going to be angry about me about this. They always get 
uh, angry when I talk about it this way, but it, it's just true. And you you can you know you can just get as angry as you want because they're like, oh well, this the, the, the corporate Republicans they weren't Rand Paul. I know what you're saying, but their their legitimization of their opinions was always the same. There's this strand inside of conservative thinking that came in kind of the 90s and the early 2000s that there would be some kind of libertarian consensus, and that's how we would defeat uh, the Democratic Party. That that. Uh, all the social positions of kind of the Christian right were very unpopular and they needed to be abandoned and you just needed lower taxes and more opportunity. And that was the way that the right would win more free speech, more, you know, more opportunity, more freedom, 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 freedom. This was the key to victory, right? That, that was a, a very big push in, uh, in you know, the, this kind of Cato Institute conservatism, uh, that existed again i know a lot of libertarians are gonna take issue with this but i really don't care because it's obviously an influence yeah beltway libertarians whatever they're taking a lot of these justifications uh and they they worked for a long time and uh, again it looks like we're starting to step away from this a little bit especially on the corporate side we're starting to recognize of course that corporations are not our friends that these are people who really hate us and that a lot of again the corporate structures are, are there to impact families when you uh, when you change the way that households work, when corporations pay don't are no longer required to pay a single working parent enough wage so that their spouse can stay home, uh, you know, then you end up in a situation where the wife has to go to work. Both parents have to go to work to pay for everything. Every household becomes a dual income household uh, because it has to become a dual income household. That's the only way to stay in the race. And we do this again, this is to, to pay for all that housing and healthcare and all these things that we hide, we say aren't really going up inside the inflation reports, all the things we conveniently leave out of inflation reports and, and other economic indicators to pretend like there isn't really a problem, but there's a huge problem. All the things that you need to like actually have a family are skyrocketing in costs. And part of that is the corporate structure. It's the fact that we've incentivized this two income uh, economy where instead of having a parent stay home and actually raise and educate their children, the two people are working so they can pay someone else to raise and educate their children, but also so they can pay for healthcare and pay for uh, their housing and pay for everything else that's necessary, groceries and everything else that is going up. And so we, we need to shift that mentality that corporations were on our side, not just because they suddenly adopted woke values, but because their very structure actually created a problem for families. The, the, the fact that they were no longer held to a societal standard of providing a living that could care for an entire family. I mean, you look back, and I know TV's not real life, but but the things that are kind of believable on TV just in the 1990s are insane now. Like, you know, 80s and 90s, where some guy who was a manager at a shoe store could afford a nice house with four kids. That that seems insane today, right? You need two college-educated uh, people constantly making higher and higher incomes just so you can maybe rent a decent place in, in many places in the United States. I mean, that that's just a reality for a lot of people. And that change, again, I know TV is not real life, but but you would never depict that today because it's just so absurd that they, you know no one would believe it. And the fact that corporations have played a huge role in that, along again with things like mass immigration and other critical social changes, has really shifted the mentality. Also, uh, again, we need to think about the fact of these neutral institutions, the fact that we used to think that we the conservatives could just leave uh, things like education you know, and, and uh, corporations and things alone, and that eventually we would just arrive at a certain level of 
neutrality is just not real. And this is actually a, a little bit of a, a, a conflicting area between new conservatives who came over from the left and those who have been here for a while. There's a lot of people who, you know, the kind of the I didn't leave the left, the left left me types, the neocon uh, cycle types that I've talked about before. They come in and like, oh, I thought I showed up and I just thought this was a party of freedom. I thought this was about free speech and live and let live and do whatever you want. And that clashes with people who are starting to realize that actually abandoning family values, abandoning tradition, abandoning all these things, uh, all these arguments, all these culture war arguments, as people came to call them, was actually a failure. <laughs> it actually didn't work very well at all. And the fact that people like Ron DeSantis and others are willing to address them is actually their strength and not their weakness. You know, the fact that Ron DeSantis would go after a corporation like uh, Disney and win, by the way, victory. A lot of people said he couldn't win. It wasn't possible. He did. The fact that he would be willing to do that, that's a new type of Republican. That's a new type of conservative. And there are still many in the conservative movement who are very uncomfortable, especially those who migrated over from the left and thought they were just coming around for, you know, 90s uh, in, you know, institutional liberalism with a, you know, coat of red paint on it uh, are starting to realize that actually, uh, you know, maybe that that isn't what the conservative movement is going to be about. So that is a good shift. Hopefully that continues. I'm going to get into a few more uh, other ways that uh, identity crisis has impacted the Republicans or the conservative movement. Before I do, guys, let's hear from ISI. Universities today aren't just neglecting real education, they're actively undermining it, and we can't let them get away with it. America was made for an educated and engaged citizenry. The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on college campuses and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. They have fellowships at some of the nation's top conservative publications like National Review, The American Conservative, and The College Thinker. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next great generation of college professors. Through ISI, you can work with conservative thinkers who are making a difference. Thinkers like Chris Rufo, who currently has an ISI researcher helping him with his book. But perhaps most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that can help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at their various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, go to ISI.org. That's ISI.org. All right, guys, so back to these identity crisis issues that have plagued the Republicans and the wider conservative movement. The next one I would say is the problem of nationalism versus empire. Obviously, neoconservatism became very strong inside the right. Uh, it dominated for a very long time. There are good reasons for this. Uh, World War II, post-World War II, a lot of Americans felt that it was the United States' job to protect the world from the Soviet Union. The Cold War was real. And I know that's easy to look back now and say, oh, well, obviously we were going to win that. Or there was never really a threat of, you know, uh, of world destruction through nuclear war. But there was. It was very, very real. And, and you have to take that seriously. 
So it's easy to look back now and say, oh, well, you know, we didn't really need to become a global empire. We didn't really need to go out and fight these people. We didn't really need to stop communism everywhere uh, because everything worked out. But I think that's, that's a, lot, a kind of a post hoc rationalization of a position you want to hold. There's a reason that a lot of guys who became, you know, who were called paleocons, guys like Pat Buchanan, who truly believe that America should mainly stay inside its borders, protect itself, went along with the Cold War and many of the neocon uh, policies. And the reason was that they really did see Russia, I think probably correctly, as an existential threat, not only to the United States, but possibly the world. And that if there wasn't some way to strongly stand against it, there really could be a very serious uh, threat to the American ho homeland. That said, you know, the, the reason that you got the paleocon movement, the reason that you also got things like paleo libertarians uh, uh, who were kind of always uh, on board with this, but the reason these two groups agreed with what happened was, or, or agreed with each other is after the cold war, after the fall of the Soviet union, we just kept going right. First we're going to Iraq and then we're going well to Iraq again. It, you get the idea. We just continued to intervene. This didn't, stop even though the soviet union fell we had lost the reason that america had to maintain a global empire but we continued to kind of act as if it was necessary and this is understandable there's an understandable identity crisis moment here because most americans particularly conservatives really do want to be isolationist and you know i don't use that as a dirty word i think that's just a healthy way to understand that your country should primarily be involved in its own protection that you should primarily care about your own borders and your own safety and your own people. And the only reason you should really be involved with foreign countries or, you know, uh, uh, any kind of war outside of your immediate protection is if it's an, if it somehow is existential, it directly impacts you and your, your ability to carry on as a, as a nation. Otherwise you should probably avoid that as much as possible. However, uh, it was understandable why Americans got linked into this because first they got drawn into a lot of these global con uh, conflicts, world wars, and then they had probably what was a legitimate interest in protecting against the Soviet Union. And a lot of this got tied directly to patriotism. And I think right wingers are understandably uh, and and for you know for good reason inherently patriotic. They should be. Uh, they have a pride in their country, and they have many of them are service members or veterans, or they have family who are. I grew up, you know, on military bases, large amounts of my family and my, my friends were military. And so it made perfect sense to, to feel like you had to support this in every situation and that questioning this was a mistake. However, that momentum of patriotism, especially in the face of the fact that many on the left were straight up communists and really did hate the country and really were opposing American action because they were legitimately communist and they they did want to see America defeated because they preferred communism that there was a, a lot of understandable, you know, uh, kind of righteous pushback against that reflexive and righteous pushback against that. However, once that threat was gone, that constant culture war need to defend a military action was preyed upon by neocons, the military industrial complex. It was used to make profit. It was used to continue to justify placing America in these situations well after you could make any argument that it truly had any bearing on America's national security. Everything became America's national security because the American nation became global. We had to defend the empire. You know, every part of it. Oh, there's, you know, we're, we have critical trade routes somewhere in Southeast Asia. And so if anything happens there, we've got to be involved. And 
you know, we, we've got allies over here and we've got troops stationed in every base across the, you know, the entire country. And so anytime someone sneezes, we have to go to war with them because, you know, we've, we've got to protect our thing. Well, yeah, if you put your soldiers in positions and let's be really frank, a lot of neocons used soldiers as bait. They wasted American lives. They got people killed specifically so they could start wars and they could perpetuate this machine. And so conservatives have a very serious identity crisis in this area because, you know, they they want to they, they rightly want to support their troops. They want to give military men a good thing to protect, something worthy to do. They want to support them. All of that is entirely noble. And the, the reflex to do that makes perfect sense. However, it's become very clear that the global American empire is not operating in America's interests. It's operating in the interests of people who want to go ahead and, you know, basically separate themselves from, from the United States in all but name and use the country as a tax farm for their global empire. And that fact has led a lot of conservatives to have very serious confusion. I mean, at the beginning of the Ukraine war, even though we'd done this through all these other, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq and everything, at the beginning of the Ukraine war, there was a little bit of Fox News, rah, 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 we got to go. But it, the, the the encouraging thing was it did seem like a lot of conservatives, a lot of people who, in the commentariat who normally would have been on board with all of this and immediately would have been like, we got to go to war, blah, 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 blah. They started to understand the problems here and they started to see that there was an issue. And it felt like for the first time, especially when Donald Trump came by and gave people a reason why they no longer had to have this identity crisis, uh, you know, because look, it was the right that had been sending their sons to die. Let's be really clear. You know, the, the, the United States military, especially its effective troops, it's, it's real forward fighting troops, the people who are involved in special forces and, and combat units, they're primarily right wing. They're primarily from families who have been serving for generations. They're from places like Texas and from Appalachia. They're not probably from the heart of Chicago. And so there, there was the Republican and the, right, the Republicans and the right that had really the, those conservative families that had been sending their children to die in these wars. And I think they rightly were looking for a reason to say, we don't have to do this anymore. And John, Donald Trump gave them a way to be patriotic and still question the military and what was happening. And so I think that started to resolve some of the identity crisis inside the right. But then we see places like Israel, you know, there, there's the tax that happened over there. And all of a sudden, oh, we got to go to war with Iran. We got to give these people, you know, uh, tens of billions of dollars, even though they don't need it at all. Yeah, that kind of cycle starts again. And it's just like, we, we have to get over this. We have this identity crisis has to end. If we're going to be American nationalists, we have to care about the nation. We have to put America first. We have to put America first in every scenario at, at every turn. It, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't foreign uh, conflicts that we might have to be involved in. It doesn't mean that there aren't uh, interests beyond America's borders that we might have to be involved in. But it means that we are very careful, extremely careful with the blood and treasure of this nation, the, the, the young men who would go and fight. The truth is we don't have a lot of sons left to send. At this point, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of a lot of the uh, groups that used to mainly make up the combat effective forces of the United States military are no longer uh, producing a lot of children. And uh, the ones that are there don't want to go because they've been told that actually uh, white men are the devil. White Christian men are, are the, the problem with the country uh, and they don't want to go and die uh, for an empire that hates them. And so uh, and so we're kind of seeing uh, that occur as well. And so it's another one of those things where this identity crisis inside the right still exists. However, 
uh, it is starting to wane some. We, we are seeing moves in the right direction. And I hope those continue. The next identity crisis that I wanted to talk about is protecting the status quo. I've, I've mentioned this a few times, but I think it's, it bears repeating. Republicans want to defend the status quo for a lot of reasons because they're part of the uniparty. But conservatives want to do it reflexively because they are conservative by their very nature. Their job is, you know, their, their disposition is to protect what exists. We are there to, you know, th this is the uh, this is the second residue, the type two residue of Pareto, the, the lions, as Machiavelli would refer to them. Those that have the persistent characteristics that want to make sure that uh, that family and nation continue on, that that religion and belief are protected. That's that built in conservative instinct. So it makes perfect sense that conservatives want to protect that which uh, ha has been a part of their lives that since, you know, the, the everything they can remember. And so uh, reflexively, conservatives tend to want to protect institutions. And so they will say, well, we, we need law and order. So maybe the FBI is fine. And, you know, we, the, we of course, we support the military. We support troops. We don't really want to question that. And, you know, th there's all the there are all these institutions that we feel because they've just existed. We need to go ahead and protect. And again, normally, that's a very healthy instinct. That's a very natural and healthy thing for conservatives to do. And so we're in a very strange position for a lot of uh, people who are dispositionally conservative. I am. I that that is me that you know, I'm, I'm talking about myself here, you know, that, that this is my natural disposition. I am not a rebel. I am not a radical. I am not an extremist. I am not a revolutionary by nature. That is just not who I am. I, I want to defend the the institutions that have been a critical part of my tradition and my home and my family and, and you know, kind of my society. However, those institutions have all been turned against the people of this country. They have been turned against the, uh, you know, uh, the very populations that they are supposed to serve. The Department of Education does not educate children. It brainwashes them into radical uh, gay race communism. The uh, border patrol does not protect our border from illegal immigrants. It literally welcomes them in. Our our Department of Defense does not defend this country. It only defends the borders of countries like Ukraine or Israel or Afghanistan or Iraq. Like the, that's the truth about our institutions. They don't actually do what they're supposed to do to serve this country, and so protecting them is actually a mistake. It actually hurts conservatives. Things like the FBI are being used to persecute conservatives, not to protect them. And so we have this identity crisis because we naturally want to defend these things, but we actually need to talk about replacing them entirely. And, you know, again, I feel like there is some movement here. I think a lot of people recognize the corruption of something like the FBI, obviously the border patrol. Again, many of these people, the F, many border patrol agents are super angry that they can't do their job. They're furious that they are not allowed to do their job. They're happy that places like Texas are actually protecting to at least some degree the border. However, that doesn't really matter because if they're not doing their job, well, the purpose of the system is what it does. If the border patrol lets a lot of people in, whether the border patrol agents like that or not, then the purpose of the border patrol is to let people in. You know, if the education system doesn't educate children, whether individual teachers, I used to be a teacher, I was angry about that fact, but that doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, the purpose of the education system is what it does. And what it does is indoctrinate children into radical leftist ideology. And so, we, you know, conservatives have to 
address this. Again, I think this is something that's changing, but this one I think is harder because conservatives have a hard time of thinking of themselves instead as the ones that are actually seeking change. They're the ones who are actively trying to establish something new, make something new. And that's why I think a critical mentality shift, there's one mentality shift that has to happen inside the conservative movement. This is it. And I think it's the hardest one because again, dispositionally, that's not what conservatives want to do. That's not who they are, right? That, that's just the case. The final contradiction, this one's a little not like the others, but I think it's worth mentioning. And please hear me when I say this. I'm about to talk about the Second Amendment, and I am a Second Amendment supporter, have been my whole life, uh, avid shooter, you know, always enjoyed uh, that. And my enjoyment is not the purpose. That's not the reason the Second Amendment was written, but just putting my bona fides out there. That what I'm about to say is not an argument against the Second Amendment at all. However, what I am going to say is that there is a bit of an identity crisis inside the conservative movement when it comes to particularly the Second Amendment. Because while I think the Second Amendment is critical, and I would certainly rather have it than not, again, this is not an argument against the Second Amendment. If you're going to give me a choice, hey, after you make this argument, are you going to give up your Second Amendment rights? The answer is no. But there is a truth there is a truth hidden in here and the truth is that gun ownership in the United States in many ways has formed a security blanket for conservatives. Um, one of the things that we believe, one of the things that's part of our civic religion and this is a really weird part of our civic religion is uh, that we are we've kind of legalized a revolution that in the constitution, especially uh, really in the declaration of independence, but also in the constitution through things like the second amendment, it's, it's part of our idea that the people have the right to throw off a government if they choose to, if the government is not serving them, of course, like it says in the declaration of independence, then you need to sever those ties. You need to loose those bonds and you need to go ahead and start your own thing. Right. And we say that this is why the second amendment exists. You hear this all the time you know, from people, well, the second amendment isn't there for sports shooting. It's not there for hunting. It's not even there for self-protection though. That is your right. Uh, as, as just a, a Western, um, uh, individual from the Western tradition. Uh, however, the actual purpose most people give to the second amendment is the right of revolution, basically that the, the people have the right to defend themselves against the government. Should the government become tyrannical? And that makes perfect sense. Again, it's specifically stated by guys like Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Many people go ahead and cite Jefferson's, uh, uh, you know, letter saying uh, that the, you know, the the tree of liberty has to be watered by the blood of tyrants and patriots from time to time. People love to quote that. What they don't realize is actually that's not about the Revolutionary War in the United States. That letter is about uh, is about uh, a rebellion that happened later on in the United States. It was against the United States government. It was Shays rebellion. He was talking about, and that there have been multiple rebellions in the United States, including probably the most obvious one, which would be the civil war. And during none of those, were we actually allowed to do that? Uh, we, we, uh, it's very strange because we have this notion that we are a country that freed itself through revolution against a tyrannical King makes sense, right? However, we then go on to say, and of course, we always have this option. But actually, if we look at our history, we know we don't have this option at all. In fact, we regularly have failed to be able to do this. The groups that have tried it have failed, uh, most notably, again, in, in uh, the 1860s. And so it, it's very clear that we do not have this right and that it, we never did. 
and that actually no constitution can actually go ahead and secure that right because that's not what constitutions do uh, for many reasons. Uh, but but no regime can ever uh, install the right to overthrow it. That's just not how governments work at all. Uh, and, mo and most importantly for the United States, this creates the identity crisis and particularly conservatives because they have a hard time recognizing that they are an empire. One of the hardest things for a lot of conservatives to admit is that the United States is an empire. And the reason they have a problem doing that is the story of our empire is that it started as a revolution against empires. We didn't want to have colonies. We didn't want to be a colony more. We wanted freedom from a foreign power. And so we went ahead and had this revolution. And if we're the kind of country that founds its entire identity on the fact that we had a revolution to overthrow a tyrannical power, well, then how can we be an empire? Uh, how, how could we have founded ourselves by overthrowing an empire because it was tyrannical? And that's a core part of our identity. But also, we are a global empire. We do oppose our, oppose our will. And actually, there is no way uh, constitutionally for us to uh, kind of, you know, uh, get rid of this type of thing. Again, these are, that, that one's a less of a solvable issue as, as so much as just uh, something that's always been a contradiction at the heart of the United States. And it's certainly carried into the conservative mindset. And like I said, that, that one's not like the others. The other ones are, are far more fixable. I think there are things that are on the way to being fixed. Uh, I think that one sits a little more core at the, at the heart of America and not just conservatives. It's a truth that's difficult to recognize. Nobody likes to admit it. I certainly don't like it, but it is something that we should probably recognize if we understand our political situation, because the longer we kind of lie to ourselves about what our nation is and what it's become and the realities of political power, we have a harder time recognizing where we're at. And again, I'm, this is not an argument against the Second Amendment. I still think that it should exist. And I still think people should have the right to bear arms, defend themselves, that kind of thing. I'm simply pointing out that there is an identity contradiction at the heart of, of kind of how we see ourselves as a nation. And that often leads us to a, a form of confusion when it understand when we're trying to understand our role in the world and our current reality inside our, our power structure. All right, guys. Well, that is what I was talking about with the identity crisis. I wanted to talk about one more thing uh, today, which is a bill that is coming out in Florida. All of a sudden, there is an uproar about a bill in Florida. And, uh, you know, you would think, okay, well, this must be a pretty radical bill. It must be doing something crazy. Uh, and it, what does it exist to do? Well, it exists to protect children. What is this bill? Well, it's, it's House Bill SB 1342. And as you can see from the headline here, uh, a lot of people are up in arms. We saw a very, a very interesting uh, kind of run of people who said this bill will target LGBTQ folks. And that's a very strange thing to say, because what does the bill do? Well, the bill exists to offer the death penalty uh, for those who would engage in the sexual assault of minors, which good, right? Great. Like that seems, that seems really critical. Now, obviously this article is a little older. However, uh, you know, the, the kind of controversy about this has picked back up in the news. In fact, you can find this article back on MSN. You know, this isn't just some random article from some, some crazy, uh, 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 outlet. I mean, maybe it is to some extent, but you know, it's it, it's popping back up in major places like uh, like MSN, 
And the response to this bill has been, well, this could literally be, you know, the death, uh, the little death of queer and trans citizens, right? And uh, yeah, this seems like a very, a very strange thing to say. It seems like a very odd thing to complain about. Uh, now, uh, let's read a little bit of this bill so we can get an idea. Again, this is something that uh, that Ron DeSantis and uh, the Florida legislature introduced a while back, but interesting to see this kind of pop back up as something that people are caring deeply about. So what does it say here? Florida uh, has somehow become an even more lethal place to live as a queer and trans American thanks to a passage of two new bills. Again, very odd, very odd thing for you, you know, to kind of say about this bill given uh, kind of <laughs> what it's trying to do. Uh, they say, the, uh, the first, the bill uh, SB 1342 stipulates that sexual child abuse and acts of pedophilia may be punishable by the death penalty. Um, good. Based. Right. Yes. Like, like, obviously, this is a, a, a horrible thing uh, to do. Um, now, now, Idaho is is having a similar bill, and this is why this came back up. Right. This is this article is about the bill in Florida. But Idaho is uh, is launching a similar bill, and this is why uh, people are freaking out about this. Uh, but I, I'm just giving you the the Florida article here. Uh, but uh, but the the second bill would make it easier for a jury to send the accused to the gallows, according to Reuters' bill, and allow juries to recommend the death penalty in capital cases on eight to four vote instead of a unanimous vote. So it's interesting. I looked into this bill. If you if you click on the link, you can actually look into the bill. And the bill specifically talks about 12-year-olds. Uh, so to be really clear, uh, it's people under 12 that this bill is protecting. Uh, it's not even like you can make some kind of uh, argument about the in-betweens here. Now, I don't know if the Idaho bill has the exact same language, uh, but very interesting uh, that, that that is uh, the reason they're angry. Now, how does this affect queer people? Well, that's a good question. One does start to wonder. Uh, if you have been paying attention to what's going on in Florida this year, you'll know that Ron DeSantis is trying his best to have queer and trans citizens as well as their allies labeled as child abusers for simply helping trans kids get access to gender-affirming healthcare. Well, that's a really interesting thing to say. Uh, what does that mean, uh, gender-affirming healthcare? Oh, you mean the mutilation of children. What you mean is they, they want to criminalize the mutilation of children. And more importantly, uh, again here, under 12. So obviously, I don't think that there's a valid argument to say that uh, over 12, this becomes okay. In fact, this should be banned for everyone. This should not exist for children or adults. Uh, this, is, this is just, uh, this is not medical care. This is mutilation. And we should not have ritual mutilation practiced on anyone, particularly on uh, children. But this bill is specifically protecting those 11 and under. And so you can't even make the case that, oh, well, you know, people can consent to this or even that the child, you know, in, can consent or has some idea of their gender. Uh, this is very obviously uh, protecting those uh, who, who are under this age. But it was very crazy that we saw a lot of people uh, getting angry about this. Again, uh, the, I, Idaho's passage of this bill has or Idaho's uh, yeah passage of the bill is having a lot of people having a similar outrage. And I just thought it was really important to uh, to point out how ridiculous uh, this this whole thing has become, uh, because th that's quite the stunning admission that we're making here, right? That that's quite the stunning admission that we are making that this is how we think we're protecting people, or the the fact that we would try to protect people in this way 
is a problem uh, specifically for this community. Uh, there, there's uh, quite the omission, uh, it feels like, that is happening there, Say, saying things uh, that maybe even perhaps weren't meant to be said uh, by, by pointing out this problem. All right, guys, let's go ahead and switch over to the questions of the people. We got a few over here. Uh, CB says, uh, I'm an American. Oh, sorry, I didn't put that up here. CB says, I'm an American just like anyone else can be. Yeah, I, I, as always, uh, if everyone is American, then no one is an American. Uh, and that is uh, quite the problem here. Uh, Creeper Weirdo says, but Ayn Rand said, uh, said if you're selfish enough, yes, she did, actually, she did write a book called The Virtue of, of Selfishness. Uh, interesting if you get, you know, Ayn Rand gets a lot of crap for uh, kind of her prose style. I do think that Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead are interesting books. I'm not one of these people who uh, just like completely dies because they at one point thought that Ayn Rand had some interesting points. I think Ayn Rand did have some interesting points. It's a phase a lot of people go through for a reason. Uh, however, if you delve, deep, delve deeper into Ayn Rand stuff, you look at her attempts at like actual philosophy, which I did, uh, you can kind of see how quickly those things uh, fall apart. It, it's pretty ugly, actually, uh, once you start looking at this. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's move on. Deuce Boogaloo says, uh, Oren, you have it backwards. The state isn't uh, backfilling community services. It's having these programs eviscerated with every institution between the individual and the state. Hop refers to this as progressive decivilization. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. In fact, Hop is borrowing that again from uh, uh, from Bertrand de Juvenal. So that's that's not new to Hop. It's it's Bertrand de Juvenal. Yeah. The, to be clear, this is a symbiotic relationship, right? Now, you can say, and this is I'm going to say this is my problem with a lot of libertarians, uh, including Hop. I think Hop is right about a lot. I respect Hop more than most libertarian thinkers especially again, because he's drawing from Bertrand Juvenal, but a lot of people just want to be like the state, the state, the state, the state is the only problem here. And if it wasn't for the state, uh, this wouldn't, this wouldn't happen. Well, that's true to some extent, because the only reason you can unload some of these burdens is the fact that a large state exists. However, I don't think that it's, it's fair to say that this is solely an issue, uh, of the state. Uh, people are making this decision and, and when they're given the option, they will go ahead and seed this over. So the, the fact that the option exists at all from the state is a big part of the problem. However, I think it's wrong to not understand that this is a community problem as well. And I think that, yes, it does get pushed down by the state. They want this to happen. Uh, you can clearly see this in some of the ways that welfare was handled, uh, what was specifically uh, designed to break up families and to subsidize single motherhood and make sure that fathers are unnecessary in a household. A lot of these things, yes, they, they, they do are often motivated by the state. Uh, but I would say this is a reciprocal relationship. Uh, and it, it, I think that it, it doesn't do us any service to rob the community of, of its agency here. Uh, Creeper Weirdo says, but James Lindsay says, yes. Yes, James Lindsay says great, a great many things. Uh, Justy says, how can we make ancestry great again? or not viable. Yeah, I mean, so there's a there's a lot here. A, a big issue that we have, of course, is that we have told people that they don't need to care about this stuff, that everybody is a completely autonomous rational individual and they don't need uh the, this kind of continuity in their lives anymore. They don't need this as an identity anymore. 
you'll even see a lot of conservatives say identity isn't the problem. We, we need to get rid of identity. I think that's a mistake. I'm probably going to try to explain more of that. But but you know, the fact that people are so disconnected from their families uh, is is for a great many reasons. We don't value history anymore. We've created economic incentives to disrupt those communities. Uh, you're simply not going to be interested in your ancestry if you don't know your grandparents, if you don't know your aunts and uncles, if you're not living in a town uh, or an area where your family has deep ties because, uh, you know, that was the building that your family built, you know, 100 years ago, or, you know, that was where your great great grandmother met your great great grandfather. And that's the whole reason you exist. Like, if you're not in a place, if you don't have the, you know, a people in a place, then ancestry will eventually lose itself. You know, people, still trace their ancestry to some degree but you know as people move from country to country or state to state and the more you move and the more often you shift just the less likely you're able to be able to continue those things um can we make it great again can we rebuild those connections uh well intentionally you can do so right i think at the individual level you can but as a society uh that's going to require us to i think probably make some sacrifices some sacrifices that i don't think currently we're willing to make and so that means that, you know, until certain things break down and until certain realities just remove economic mobility and until, uh, you know, we are more intentional about the necessity to go ahead and, uh, you know, have this structure, have this community, understand that this is as necessary for human flourishing as, you know, a good health care or a recurring calorie count until we recognize those things and we make the effort to preserve them, I don't think they're going to happen. Is it viable? I think it will eventually be, but is it coming anytime soon? Probably not. Matt Greedier says, wife and I just had our first baby. Congratulations. We live five hours from our family. We decided to move back home. Turns out our family is very important unless you want to send your kid to daycare. I'd rather die. Remote work makes that possible. And that is the good news actually, right? Is that remote work does open up a whole new set of opportunities uh, usually uh, technology has, has been a, a detriment to this, but the remote work thing is a great uh, opportunity for people who do want to keep themselves uh, within striking distance of their family, want to stay in more conservative communities, don't want to move to blue cities. Uh, it, it does allow that. And uh, the fact that you're willing to make that sacrifice for your family uh, says a lot and, and, and good for you. And I think that that you're right, that those things are important. Of course, that relies on families that think that that is part of their duty. And uh, now most grandparents will take care of the grandchildren if you ask them enough. But, but, but there is a, a reciprocal duty that has to exist. You can make the sacrifice or try to live next to your family. But if the community and the family don't feel like they need to go out of their way to help each other, then it doesn't really matter. And so I'm glad that you're you know, making that decision. I think that, you know, and again, congratulations on your on your child and and uh, I think that's important that you're putting the, yourself in that situation where you don't have to rely on strangers to take care of your kid. But uh, obviously, this is only an option if we make it make it so that communities can continue to exist next to each other. Uh, remote work is a nice way around that, but not everybody has a laptop job, right? Not everybody can can make that choice. Uh, and so we need to be able to build communities that allow it for everybody, not just for people who happen to have that technological uh, mobility in their community. Creeper weirdo, you literally game ending trans people. Oh, okay, yes, uh, yeah. Uh, again, the the thing that everyone is screaming, uh, you know, and, and that's it's just amazing how that has become the reason that you know the government has to compel speech, the government has to, uh, you know, allow you know not protect children is so that you know this this one micro community can 
cannot you know can feel safe it turns out that actually uh, you can't let people make that argument constantly or they will just destroy your civilization uh life of brian says uh jacobin Mario crusades have always been discordant with the right and much more consistent with the left ideology legal alien mercenaries are nigh all right man thank you very much guys i appreciate everybody for coming by uh if this is your first time here of course please make sure to go ahead and subscribe to this channel make sure that you go ahead and click the bell turn on the notifications everything you need to do to make sure that you can go ahead and catch uh these streams when they happen and of course if you would like to get these podcast these broadcasts as podcasts make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the Oren mcintyre show on your favorite podcast platform hope you guys have a great weekend and as always i will talk to you next time